Praise to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, those of you who have had me for class know that I have a certain fondness for George MacDonald. I sometimes refer to him as my favorite heretic, and that's saying a lot for someone who devoted his doctoral studies to origin of Alexandria. On the one hand, MacDonald was almost universally condemned for being a universalist. On the other hand, C.S. Lewis argued that MacDonald believed everyone would be saved because he believed everyone would repent. MacDonald was ousted for his con- from his congregation, but Lewis made him the tour guide of heaven in the great divorce. For all his faults, it was his translation of Luther's hymns that was chosen as the basis for the translation of Luther's hymns in the American edition of Luther's works. Yes, for all his faults, I found that he still has much to teach me. Now, I wish I could remember his exact words, but it's the gist of the thought that has stayed with me. In one of his novels, he describes a young woman character as being a good theologian. She was so good a theologian, the description continued, that between her and her theology together, one couldn't even get close to God. Over the years, whether in a small parish in northeastern Indiana or in a small seminary in northwestern Taiwan, or even here in Zion on the Mississippi. Those words have given me much to think about. Is my theology, not the Bible, not the confessions, but the way my life and my words speak about God, Is my theology keeping people from him, keeping me from him? MacDonald's words came back to me late last night as I was struggling with this gospel from Matthew 9. Came back to me like the quiet chuckling of a best friend watching my senseless frustration. You see... I don't particularly want to preach about this bleeding woman. I said I would, so I have to. Uh, But I don't particularly want to. Why? Because just about everything she does is an offense to my faith in general and my Christology in particular. First of all, She thinks that she can sneak up on him. Does she deny the omniscience of God? Or does she just deny that the one she is sneaking up on is the one true God? If only I touch the tassel of his cloak, she reasons. 
Is that idolatrous superstition or simply works righteousness? Magic or merit? Which would you prefer? And the whole business reeks of a theology of glory. A theologian of the cross would accept the suffering, would see even another twelve years of isolation and pain and shame as nothing compared with what Christ suffered for us. Instead of being willing to suffer for him, she wants to use his power for her own selfish gain. And do you know what I dislike the most about this woman? What I can't stand about her is that Jesus healed her and praised her and claimed her as his own. He called her ignorant, superstitious, quasi-magical, manipulative, self-seeking, perhaps even proto-docetic notions about him, faith, saving faith. That's an offense to my Christology. Yes, he is an offense to my Christology. That's not the way I learned Christ, I protest. And he says, Then come, learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. Come and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Come, learn, and I am giving you this woman as your teacher. But what can she teach me? First, that perhaps my life, too, has been little more than a slow dying. When did I last dare to grab the tassel? When was the last time the thought even crossed my mind? When did it happen? How did it happen that I just began to accept things, justifying my own complacency and apathy with carefully reasoned theological arguments, including foreign words whenever possible? Talking day in and day out about his promises and never claiming one of them, and talking about him as if he weren't even in the room. When did I start trying to comprehend salvation and stop clinging to my Savior? How could I have let my Jesus become a marketing tool, a core value, a doctrine. What can she teach me? I pray that she can teach me her e'an manan, her if only. 
to see with such clear tunnel vision, to live obsessed with one alone, so as to say and to know, if only this, if only him, I will be saved. To walk again in what Franzman called a monomania of trust. Could she teach me this faith? A faith that is blind to my own uncleanness, my own beggarliness, my complete lack of merit or virtue. A faith that sees him and only him, that cares nothing that his back seems to be turned to me, that will stake life and limb on his character, on his compassion alone. Can she teach me that this faith is not forged in the crucible of chronic suffering, does not emanate from the depths of contemplation or the heights of scholarship, does not come from following your heart or plucking up your courage? Can her fixation fix my eyes on the one who is both the author and perfecter of faith? What can she teach me? She can teach me that salvation, after all, has a lot to do with touch. There is something very real, very flesh and blood, about this one in whom she has placed all her hope. She doesn't think to herself, if only I could think about him in the right way. Or, if only I could write the perfect book about him. She must touch him. And touch him she does. She latches on to his prayer tassel as if it were one of the horns of the altar. She can teach me that when I approach his table, my heart my mind, my soul, should not be clogged with questions of how can this happen and how do we put it into proper words or who should be with me up here or should I even be here myself. She can teach me that when I come to his table, my one thought should be if I can only touch him I will be saved. And then to walk away, taking with me his words, Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. My compassion has availed for you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.